Good afternoon. I'm Jim Ritchie, a medical missionary. I work in Chigoria, Kenya, on the eastern shoulders of Mount Kenya. And I have a confession to make. <laughs> I should have been disqualified to be a medical missionary. And here's what happened. Soon after I started working in Chigoria, one morning I was on rounds on the medicine ward with our, with our interns and nurses. And a patient said, Doctor, I have a question. I prayed to God to be healed. And my pastor said, by his stripes, you are healed. But I still have the disease. Why is the devil winning? And when the patient asked that question, I just stood there unable to answer. I was a medical missionary who couldn't answer a fundamental spiritual medical question. I was a failure, busted right there in front of my team. But here's the thing. I came to trust Jesus after most of my medical training. So my medical worldview was highly secular. When I went to Kenya to be a medical missionary, I was shockingly ignorant of any biblical understanding of illness and healing, including my role and God's role. And I knew that I should be ready with at least basic answers, and I wanted to find someone who could help me remediate. But when I spoke with other missionaries and mission hospital chaplains, I found that most of them were in the same boat, and they felt uncomfortable with their grasp of the biblical concepts of healing and illness, especially our role as healers and you know this is no small matter because in medical missions we encounter some challenging questions how are we christian medics different from those in a secular medical ngo like doctors without borders or more to the point how would our patients say we christian medics are different from those in a secular ngo and does that matter how about a patient who said, the Bible says that the prayer, a prayer offered in faith will heal the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. But I've surely prayed in faith and so has my pastor and my family. Is God not to be trusted? When patients come to us, medical professionals, are they acting without faith in God's ability to heal? Are we facilitating or acting as enablers for that lack of faith? Now, I've seen many medical professionals struggle with these questions and others like them. And it's no exaggeration to say that some missionaries have failed and some mission hospitals have failed, at least in part, because they had non-biblical answers to these questions. So I knew I was ignorant and was in desperate need of some truth so I could answer my own questions and those of our patients. So I've spent the last several years searching the scriptures and studying the works of those who have come before us and talking with some godly and wise people. And this talk is intended to help us all in our work because our theology guides our thoughts and our thoughts determine our actions. In Acts 17:11, we're told that the Berean Christians received the word with understanding uh, or with great eager eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So maybe some of the things in this talk will challenge your understanding of God and his wonderful work. And I beg of you, to be like the Bereans and search the scriptures to see if these ideas are biblically sound. I'm going to use the word medics in this talk. And when I do, it's intended to be inclusive, to refer to all of us in the house of medicine, nurses, radiographers, physical therapists, doctors, pharmacists, all of us. Now, as we start, let's ask the Lord's guidance. Lord, we're gathered in your name to bring glory to you and your purpose in illness and healing. And we trust your word, and we truly want to serve you by serving your people. Please guide our thoughts and words and teach us what we need to know to be more faithful sons and daughters. May your truth resonate in our spirits. And if I speak error, I beg that my words may be swiftly forgotten. We pray in your name and to your glory. Amen. Now, I hope to show in the next 45 minutes that God, the master artist, sculpts in our lives in the artistic medium of illness and healing and the entire spectrum of healing, including natural healing, medicinal healing and miraculous healing belong to God. And our role as Christian medics is to bring glory to God in that entire spectrum. Let's quickly identify two problematic concepts that confound a biblical understanding 
of illness and healing. I assume we all understand the concept of worldview and that our worldview serves as a foundation for our understanding of how the world works. In my experience, the worldview of the Western medical system believes that health and illness follow statistical and biological rules and that we medics can study, <clears throat> excuse me, can study and understand and manipulate those principles to combat illness and bring health. And all this is fair enough, but there's more to it. This worldview concludes that medics are responsible agents for physical health care. The Western medical system might allow a little room for God um, in some unexpected positive outcomes, but mostly the system expects that people are the main players in healing. And this worldview brings some unexpected consequences. It places the burden of responsibility for outcomes upon us, medics, and considers illness to be a random, purposeless, mechanistic, meaningless event. Suffering is therefore purposeless, and God and his role and his intentions for our growth and sanctification in trial are ignored. This worldview also underlies the perplexing question of whether our role as medics contrasts with faith in God's ability to do the miraculous. The second problematic concept is the health prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel, which is a widespread heresy, teaches that God just wants us happy and wealthy and healthy. And if you're unfamiliar with this heresy and its catastrophic consequences, I strongly encourage you to explore it further. One of the facets of this false gospel is the idea that God only wants us to be healthy. It says the devil's role is to cause illness and God's role is to heal. And this false doctrine is especially problematic because it's a partial truth. Surely Jesus healed many. God is called Jehovah Rapha, or the Lord is our healer. And some biblical illnesses were credited to the devil. But this doctrine is far too simplistic and ignores the many biblical examples of God using illness to enact his purposes in individuals and nations. When this false doctrine is preached, sick people who are not physically healed are often led to unbelief and despair, asking why the devil is winning. So then, with those problematic concepts in mind, let's dig into that question of whether our work as medics is in conflict with faith in God's ability to miraculously heal. And let's consider healing in three categories. The first is natural healing, or the healing of our bodies um, that our bodies accomplish without external intervention. The second is medicinal healing, the stuff we medics are usually paid to do. And the third category is the frankly miraculous, the healing that we didn't expect and can't explain outside of supernatural intervention. So first, natural healing. Maybe, like me, you learned about this sort of healing in a secular context, thinking that these healing processes are just kind of the way the universe happens. Hey, we figured out how it all worked and thought, isn't it amazing how that all happened all by itself? But when we realize that God engineered us, we can recognize a more profound truth about our so-called natural healing. Our outrageously complex bodily systems are hardly the product of random chance, and instead the product of a super intellect who made this machine that assembles itself and repairs itself. I mean, you've studied the marvels of the human body. Let's just think about the visual system. Isn't it astounding that we have a high resolution binocular video system that can discern, what is it, 8 million colors and uh, have astounding sensitivity range feeding into a recording system that can recall details decades later, all assembling itself from a single cell. I mean, you can go on forever, as you know, and our construction is evidence of a designer who truly deserves our awe. We know a lot about the complexity of clotting, with many factors, cofactors, feedback loops, building blocks, and other interactions. And when you realize this was designed and engineered, you can see that every clot is a motivation to praise. Inflammation and its myriad bewildering factors was engineered on purpose for healing. I gave up trying to, un to understand this years ago. I and mean, it's a stunning work of the master biological engineer. So when we consider categories of healing, we who believe in a creator 
can conclude that so-called natural healing is a direct result of God's engineering, and it belongs to him entirely. Moving on to miraculous healing, we hopefully don't need to spend much time considering whether this type of healing belongs to God and whether we should seek it. James tells us we are to pray for the sick and that prayer offered in faith will restore. Now we shouldn't mistake this figure of speech for some sort of advertisement of a healing vending machine, but instead as a principle of restoration. It isn't a promise for everyone every time, it's a principle. Jesus empowered the disciples to heal miraculously. Paul taught that some members of the body of Christ have gifts of healing as a gift of the Spirit. Healing through God's miraculous action is something we are to be involved in as believers, whether we're medical professionals or not. So both natural healing and miraculous healing are surely to be attributed to God and are closely associated with faith. Now, I've struggled with this question. Maybe you have too. The Bible speaks clearly about miraculous healings from God being related to faith and about a lack of faith preventing miraculous healing. So are our earthly medicinal efforts actually facilitating a lack of faith? I'm convinced that our work as Christian medics is not in conflict with faith and should be tightly interwoven with faith in our healer God. The Bible endorses medical ministry. And first, let's look at some biblical references of medicinal healing. The Good Samaritan treated the wounded man, pouring oil and wine on the wounds and bandaging them. Have you, have you ever noticed that the, the Good Samaritan was a paramedic? <laughs> He stabilized, transported, and turned over care to the treating facility. That's a paramedic. I'm an ER guy, and I love that story. The Samaritan used medicine. And remember, this is Jesus, Jesus telling the story, using the Samaritan as a prime example of loving your neighbor. Notice also that Jesus does not say the Samaritan prayed for healing. He ministered with medicine. And in this verse from Isaiah, God is figuratively speaking about the sinful nation of Judah. He's criticizing a people who don't deal with their own sin using the metaphor of sound medical treatment. What do you do with an abscess or boil? You don't let it fester, you press it out. If you, d you don't leave wounds exposed and desiccated, you dress them. It's a, it, this is an implicit endorsement of the medical care that was available at the time. Jesus used the obvious need of a sick person for a physician as a metaphor for the sinner's need for him. He could have used several other metaphors, but this one fit a legitimate need. Jesus said, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. There are other references. Luke, the beloved physician. Paul's admonition to Timothy to use some medicinal wine for his stomach ailments. Again, Paul didn't just tell Timothy to pray for healing, but to use medicine. And there are others that appear to treat medical care as a legitimate expectation. We read about ISAV and BALM. And the legitimate presence of physicians is assumed in the question, is there no physician there? To be sure, we're not to rely only upon doctors for healing, but are to seek the Lord. King Asa who was mostly considered a good king of Judah, is criticized in Scripture for not seeking the Lord, but only the physicians. But the breadth of Scripture speaks well of ministering with medicine. It should surely be combined with faithful prayer, though, to God, the healer. So those were some biblical references endorsing sound medical healing, and there are actually several more, which I will leave as an exercise for you to work through. Um, but now let's look at God's creation and see if we can discover some intentionality within the spectrum of healing for medicinal ministry. Have you ever thought about how remarkable it is that our bodies can be repaired by people and that people can have the intellectual wherewithal to figure out how to help repair other people and that we can have the resources available to carry that out? You know, none of those things should be assumed. 
When God was creating, he could have made us such that we could not treat each other. I've been told that the original Land Rovers were designed to be repairable in the field with a few simple tools. And that design has served those cars very well. Our little town on the shoulders of Mount Kenya has a Land Rover repair shop, and I can confidently say <laughs> there are no sophisticated tools being used in that place. But we still see these old beasts regularly powering along decades after their manufacture. As a matter of fact, I rode in one of these ancient rovers coming down from the mountain a couple of months ago with 12 other tired people. Uh, and the design for easy repairability has been wonderfully successful with these cars. Isn't this design true about people? When I was a medical student, I created a bit of a problem for myself in the operating room. I was observing my first bowel resection. I was dutifully holding the retractor, imperfectly of course, and I was amazed to see that the procedure largely consisted of cutting out the diseased bit and just sewing the ends back together. I mean, yeah, there was technique and procedure and skill and all that, and it's true. But the senior resident surgeon just cut it out and sewed the ends together. And so I asked, that's it? That's all you do? The layers just find themselves? And the peristalsis returns and, and all the functions return with just that? And the resident was uh, disappointed with my lack of marvel at his skill, so I got a reputation for being kind of a blockhead. But really, isn't that remarkable? That this sort of healing can occur? That we can do this for each other? That our parts are made such that we can make these repairs? Isn't it fascinating that plants and molds and other living things produce substances which can be used medicinally with people with minimal processing and low toxicity. I mean, some of these, the, the dig and the, uh, and, and the opium, fit our cellular receptors. Remember, we and our receptors were engineered, and these plants were engineered by God, and when used responsibly, they are a means of effective blessing and medicinal ministry. For instance, the opium poppy produces morphine and the foxglove produces digitalis. The, the Egyptians recorded 800 medicinal plants with varying potency, of course. Opium's effects were recorded in 3400 BC, and Greek and Roman physicians used it in medical care. And I've researched the function of these molecules within the plants. In other words, what do the plants use them for? And according to the botanists I have asked, opium and digitalis primarily serve as toxins produced by the plant to prevent their ingestion by animals. Now, these are some complicated molecules to, to, you know, to just be a toxin. And isn't it amazing that those complex molecules fit our receptors? But they are effective toxins. Uh, oleander, for instance, makes a toxin very similar to digitalis. And my pony died after eating oleander. This is where you say, aw. My pony died. I think it's amazing that God made us so that we can be repaired. He gave us the intellectual capacity to engage in medical treatment, and he made complex chemicals for us to use medicinally. It's at least as remarkable that God made us able to minister to each other medicinally, and that's, again, that's hardly a given. God gave us minds that have the capacity to understand our own physiology and even manipulate that physiology. Let's take a little historical detour to connect these ideas with the thoughts of others. And these ideas actually are hardly new. A couple of weeks ago, I was introduced to Basil of Caesarea, who lived in the 300s AD. He's widely credited for starting the first hospital, which he did because of his understanding of the blessing of medical care. To quote the article that's referenced here, Basil argued that God gave the exiled Adam and Eve agriculture to feed their families, weaving to clothe their nakedness, and the logos of medicine to heal their diseases. He said, for every illness, God created a plant, mineral, or sea animal to heal it, and then he gave human beings intelligence to find these remedies. When a physician heals with medicines, insisted Basil, we experience a miracle of God's creation no less wonderful than those of the Bible. But he stressed that all healing ultimately comes from God. He said, God sometimes cures us without visible means when he judges this mode of treatment beneficial to our souls. And again, he wills that we use material remedies for our ills 
to provide an example for the proper care of the soul. End quote. During his time as, bis as bishop, Basil helped to create the Christian hospital. He also played a significant role in convincing Christians that medical science was a gift from God, not a pagan deception. I like this Basil guy. I mean, I'm not into patron saints or anything, but we should at least get t-shirts made with him on the front. I mean, he may, our, may be our leading medical ministry forefather. We've said it's amazing we're constructed in a fixable way, and it's amazing we have the ability to comprehend our own systems well enough to treat each other. And Einstein himself was amazed in a similar way, that the world of physics was comprehensible to us. So, hey, we're thinking like Einstein. In a more contemporary link with uh, biblical thought, we have Grudem's systematic theology. And I'll quote Grudem. Certainly, we should use medicine if it's available, because God has also created substances in the earth that can be made into medicine with healing properties. Medicine, thus, should be considered part of the whole creation that God considered very good in Genesis 1.31. We should willingly use medicine with thankfulness to the Lord, end quote. There are many other th similar references, but this is a start. Medicine's a good thing, part of God's plan. We have been so successful in advancing medical treatment that we may think we've outrun God with our PET scans and gene therapy and robotic surgery, but let us not become arrogant. Now, my son and I made this helicopter. Mainly my son made it. We were very proud, but, you know, we really didn't make it. Some very clever designers, engineers, and industrial minds actually made it in the more accurate sense of the word. My son and I just assembled it. And some diligence and little skill on our part was required, but the heavy intellectual lifting came from the manufacturer. They engineered the special plastic that flexes just enough, molded the parts, arranged the assembly, made the instruction manual, packaged and shipped it. We just followed the directions to assemble it. God engineered the atoms and genes and materials and made us repairable. Now, we've made some cool helicopters, medically speaking, from those parts and principles, but let us not think we've outrun the creator of all the materials with all their amazing characteristics, and let us not think we have outrun the creator of our brains. God made us able to minister to each other in this profound way. He is sovereign over this means of healing, too. Medicinal healing is not contrary to faith, but is consistent with faith in our awesome designer. A few minutes ago, we considered categories of healing. Instead, we should look at it this way. God-engineered medicinal healing is absolutely continuous with healing from our normal God-engineered bodily processes and continuous with healing from God's miraculous actions. It's one spectrum. And I believe I witnessed this entire spectrum of God's healing in a friend he fell while rock climbing in a remote area with his sons, and he fell a long distance. He landed on a rock, rupturing his pulmonary artery, collapsing a lung, sustaining a hemorrhagic brain injury, among other serious injuries. His head landed on the only tuft of grass in the area. Amazingly, a rescue helicopter arrived within 30 minutes, and he was taken to a trauma center. His family was advised to prepare for his imminent demise. But with his natural healing the skills and dedication of the treating medical team, and outright miracle, he recovered and has returned to work. And after returning to work, he went to thank the helicopter EMS team, and they couldn't believe he had lived, much less was walking and talking. He experienced the entire spectrum of God's healing. Uh, but he was not entirely restored. He has had some residual mental limitations. Couldn't God have healed him completely? So hold that thought, and we'll consider such things here in just a minute. But before we move on to our next section, let's address an important question. We know that healing belongs to God, and he's in control of how it happens and whether it happens here on earth. Now, Some people tell patients, God will surely heal you. But God may say, no, not here, not now. Paul asked that the thorn in the flesh be taken from him. And God told him, no. Ultimately, believers will all be healed to heaven. And let us not give false hope 
of certain earthly bodily healing. And instead, let us give true hope of eternal, vibrant life for God's people. When we see healing, let us not be like this fellow. This is the paralytic man who was lowered through the ceiling by his friends. You can see that going on in the background. And whom Jesus healed. He was made whole and strong. Now, wouldn't you expect him to be running and cavorting about? But in this painting, his eyes are downcast, and he's carrying his mat like some sort of onerous burden. When you see healing, rejoice and praise the God who orchestrated it. Now, we've been talking about healing, and now let's change course and talk about God's purpose in illness. To shape our discussion, let's first consider that difficult question that we sometimes hear. Why didn't God heal me? I have faith, and I know he can do it and prayed, and others have prayed, but I'm not healed. Is the devil winning? Is God really powerful? Does he really care? And if so, why am I still sick? This question is based on a non-biblical concept, the medical prosperity gospel. And the concept assumes that the devil causes all illness and that God wants us all healthy here in this earthly life. Now, the concept is a partial truth, which has led to its widespread acceptance, and it can be supported by some biblical texts, but it does not reflect the breadth of biblical teaching. A far more biblical understanding is that God uses illness and healing, including giving us illness himself for his greater purposes, including our own salvation and spiritual progress. Artists create using artistic media like oil on canvas or bronze. And perhaps we might think of God as the master spiritual sculptor, and one of the artistic media he uses is illness and healing. In talking with friends, I've found that this idea has been new to some of them, and perhaps it's new or even troubling to you, so I need to show that it's a biblical idea. And let me show you about 15 places where this idea of God giving illness or bodily harm shows up in the Bible. Actually, when the Bible credits anyone with causing an illness, it's far more commonly God causing the illness. Here are a few examples. In Deuteronomy, God takes full credit for putting to death and giving life. He says he has wounded and he heals. In Exodus, when God is talking to Moses from the burning bush, um, when Moses complains that he is slow of speech and slow of tongue, God says to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God takes full credit for those attributes that we might call birth defects and makes it clear to Moses that his difficulty speaking was part of God's plan. Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Chaldeans in Babylon, was made insane and it's implied that this was through God's direct action. God sent the plague of boils and other plagues throughout the Bible, including striking dead all the firstborn of Egypt. Here's an example of another widespread deadly pestilence. and an example of God giving an individual a disease. When the Israelites complained in the desert, God sent venomous snakes. And he sent lions among the Assyrians who settled in Samaria. Now, maybe you're thinking, ah, that's all Old Testament stuff. But no, the concept holds in the New Testament. The hand of the Lord struck the false prophet Bar-Jesus with blindness. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who were basically struck dead after lying to the apostles. And there's this remarkable verse in 1 Corinthians in which people become ill because they are treating Holy Communion with contempt.
Paul was struck with blindness, which led to his conversion and healing. Paul also was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know exactly what this was. Maybe it was a real thorn. Maybe it was a figurative one. But we do know that he was tormented by it, and he asked God three times that it might be taken from him. And of course, all of these follows, followed God's decree of new circumstances following the fall of man in Genesis. Bruising, increased pain, toil and sweat, thorns and thistles. All right, so hopefully we're all on the same page now, knowing that in the Bible, God is directly involved in bringing illness. But I do not mean to suggest that the devil has no place in it, because the, in the Bible, the devil is often involved. Satan smote Job with boils. Satan bound a woman bent double by a spirit. Paul referred to his thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan. And this is fascinating because the thorn was given to Paul for Paul's benefit, but it was a messenger of Satan. Peter makes a more general statement of Jesus healing all who are under the power of the devil, although we don't really know uh, whether he specifically meant healing bodily illness. Paul spoke of handing a grossly immoral man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And of course, there are other verses that refer to illnesses caused by evil spirits. So yes, the enemy is often involved in illness, though some of these verses assume God's sovereignty in permitting the devil's actions. And honestly, the great majority of the time in the Bible, if Illness is attributed as being caused to an individual. It is far more commonly God. So why would God bring illness? Why pain or suffering? Well, sadly, the most common reason in the Bible is due to sin or disobedience. I think that should be apparent from the last several slides. But sin is hardly the only reason why God might bring illness. Even when illness is a consequence of sin, though, I think we will see that God works in illness with a goal of bringing us closer to him. A clarifying question might be, is earthly health more important than a close relationship with God? And if so, we're making an idol of earth earthly health. If we're making health an idol, something more important than our relationship with God, illness may be a way that God helps us depose that idol of health and restore us to right relationship with him. Paul says that his thorn was given to keep him from exalting himself. Nebuchadnezzar was made insane and then healed and he was back into right relationship with God. He glorified God. God sent the plague of boils to show his power and to proclaim his name through all the earth. Jesus healed this crippled man so that the Pharisees would know that the Son of Man had authority on earth to forgive sins. If the man hadn't been crippled, there would have been no opportunity for this sign. This man was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Naaman was healed by Elisha as proof of his prophetic status. If Naaman, the military commander, hadn't had leprosy, this story would have been meaningless. When people were made sick due to their contempt for Holy Communion, it was for discipline, so they would not be finally condemned with the world. Illness has purpose. God uses it for his purposes, which always include bringing us into better relationship with him and for his glory. But what about the chronically miserable? You know, we run into those people who were born with awful illnesses. Well, Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we don't know anything about Lazarus other than his suffering, which was pretty awful and chronic. But when he died, his situation was far more preferable than the situation of the rich man. He was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. 
Among the lessons Jesus was teaching with this story was the reassurance that the pains of this earthly life will be addressed in the joys of eternal life. Abraham, talking to the rich man in hell, says, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. We need to keep our eyes on heaven. In a related verse in Isaiah, we read, Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what, please, choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Paul reminds us in his second letter to the Corinthians, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Keep our eyes on heaven. God using illness and pain for his purpose in our life is not a new concept, by the way. C.S. Lewis spoke of God's use of pain for our benefit. Lewis said, Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Oswald Chambers recognized God's role in illness. Chambers said, How can we say if it... It could never be God's will for me to be sick. If it was God's will to bruise his own son, why shouldn't he bruise you? Charles Spurgeon, called the Prince of Preachers, saw God's providential hand in illness. He said, Health is set before us as if it were the great thing to be desired above all other things. Is it so? I would venture to say that the greatest blessing that God can give to any of us is health with the exception of sickness. Sickness has frequently been of more use to the saints of God than health has. If some men that I know of could only be favored with a month of rheumatism, it would, by God's grace, mellow them marvelously. Illness makes people spiritually sensitive. I've learned much from talking with my patients and with chronically ill friends. And I treasure the conversation I had with a doctor who was dying from melanoma. And I asked him if he had learned anything from his illness, and he said, Oh, yeah, I have grown so much closer to the Lord in this. He said, I would never have wished cancer on myself, but now that I have it, I've grown so much closer to Jesus that I wouldn't give it up for anything. I have a friend who's a judge, and he has ALS. And what a remarkable situation of a godly man who is in a position of great authority over other people's lives but suffers with a disease that takes away his ability to move. And when I asked him if he would give up his illness, he said that, yeah, I will give it up in a heartbeat. But he did say that God had given him ALS to teach him humility. And he is grateful. Isn't it interesting that some people with chronic illnesses or disability are understood to have a special sort of wisdom? In many cultures, we find the story of a blind oracle to whom people come for guidance. Consider the wisdom of Helen Keller, for instance. Now, when you're counseling families and their patients, we need to be careful. Patients and their families may not be ready to consider that God brought their illness. I don't usually try to teach that directly with my patients or families, but you, you, can, um, you can ask questions that assume that truth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Remember that sick people are often spiritually open and they, they often ask why God is doing this to them. And I encourage you to prayerfully consider asking your question, asking your patient these questions. Have you learned anything about God from your illness or what has God had for you in illness or any of these others? When patients are struggling with God's purpose in their illnesses, I have found great fruit with leading them to the account of Paul's thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God didn't remove Paul's thorn, though it tormented him, and Paul accepted that answer and grew spiritually as he describes here. You might prayerfully consider carefully sharing these verses with your patients, letting them meditate on them for a day or two and follow up with them to see what the Spirit has taught them. But be careful. Don't be Job's friends. You know, their primary error was supposing that, um, that Job's situation was a result of God's punishment for Job's sin, and they were completely wrong. So don't directly imply that a patient's illness is a result of sin. If the Spirit leads the patient to ask this question, you can compliment them on having the spiritual maturity to consider that possibility and help them explore. It's always good to confess and repent and seek to grow closer to God, but, Job may, but God may be doing something with the illness other than punishing for sin. On the other hand, if the illness is prompting your patient to think about their own sin, remember the prodigal. He had to come to grips with the consequences of his own sin to be reunited with the Father. Don't be afraid to go there, but I suggest letting your patient ask the question first. Illness always has meaning, and the goal is to bring us back to God, deposing the idol of health if necessary. So let's go back to our original questions. Are we medical professionals enabling patients to avoid faith in God and his miraculous healing? Good heavens, no. We are filling our place in the spectrum of God's healing, ministering according to his plan. We must never facilitate a lack of faith, but should point our patients to faith in God's healing power, some of which we can expect to be accomplished through us. People like Land Rovers have been made fixable using available means, and we medics have been given the capacity and opportunity to act within that plan. God is the master sculptor, using illness and healing in sanctifying us, and we medics are privileged to serve in the master sculptor's studio, fulfilling our part in his plan. Another question we started with is, if God doesn't answer my prayer to heal me, is the devil winning? But no, that question assumes the health prosperity gospel, and we should think of Paul's thorn in the flesh and the growth he learned from his illness. God has a purpose in illness, and we can help our patients search for that purpose and realize the profound blessing they may find in healing. In this question, uh, what difference between us and secular NGO medics? Now, God has a purpose in our illness, and healing more profound than relief of distress. All healing belongs to God. He is Jehovah Rapha, God our healer, and healing brings glory to God. Seeking and seeing God in our illness and healing is an act of worship by medics and by patients. Illness and healing are a medium God uses in redemption and sanctification. Like the Samaritan, medicine is loving your neighbor. All of these treasures are lost in secular medicine. So let's not miss our opportunity to bring glory to God. And I love this, this painting by Millet, entitled the, the Blind Girl. The taller girl with the accordion is blind, and a dazzling natural scene with double rainbow is behind her. And of course, she's unaware of the beauty, but her sister sees it. And I imagine that she's doing her best to describe it to allow her sister to be blessed by it. In Christian medicine, I think perhaps many of our patients are like the blind girl, unaware of the profound lessons and blessings that God has for us. Like the blind girl who's feeling the grass and feeling the sun on her face, they may have a partial appreciation or even a misunderstanding. And it's our privilege as Christian medics to share a much wider and more meaningful journey in the beautiful and bountiful, bountiful life that God gave us. So thank you for your attention, and I'd love to hear your questions and comments.